Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is God's word. So we're asking ourselves two questions as we come to the end of John chapter 1. And those questions are basically these. How do we keep from wasting our brief lives? Or we might put it this way, how do we make the most of our lives in this little bit of time that we have? How do we make the most of what God has given to us? Now we've said that one of the great mysteries of the Christian life and one of the uh, saddest aspects of the Christian life is simply this that those who have been born again and given a brand new life in Christ, that those who have this new life rarely live it out to the full. They were born again, given a new life, and they were meant to live as a consequence of that, a great life. But they never get from newness to greatness, never make the journey from newness to greatness. Why? Because after having been given this new life, bought by the precious blood of Christ, they wind up investing their lives in good things, but lesser things than Jesus. They wind up investing their lives, spending their lives, being consumed with lesser things than Jesus. Be warned, whatever you consume will one day consume you. Whatever you consume with your life, whatever you take in and say, this is life, I've got to have this, I've got to have this, I must have this, I must have this, will one day consume you. That's actually another sermon for another day. John chapter six, Jesus said, I am the living bread, you need to eat my flesh. I am the uh, 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 blood, you need to drink my blood. Whatever you consume will one day consume you. You consume worry and anxiety, anxiety and worry will consume you. Well, you've got that we won't stay there any longer. But that's what we must be on guard against. 
We must be sure that having been given a new life, we go on to make the journey to live a great life. The question comes, how do we do that? How do we actually live that great life? Because here's the reality. A great life, a life that is like Christ, a great life, and we define greatness the way God defines greatness, and the way God defines greatness is his supreme goodness. He said, ultimately, I'm great because I'm supremely good. To live a supremely good life is actually a challenge for you and me. It is actually impossible. That's what makes John chapter one so very important. Because what we see in John chapter one toward the end is this, we see uh, uh, God preparing his son for the greatest life ever lived and the greatest mission ever undertaken. And uh, as he does, we see him giving to Christ a clear path, a divine partner, and a compelling promise. Now, we've already seen how God cleared the path for Jesus in verses 19 to 28. So if you take your Bibles, look with me at John chapter one, verses 19 to 28. That's where we were a couple of weeks ago. And we saw how it was that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, cleared the way for Jesus by saying, Get ready, repent, God's king is coming to save. But that isn't all he did. In verses 19 and following, he, he, he uh, is shown to be doing more. He not only prepares the way for Christ, but he points the way to God's king come to save by pointing to Jesus. And this is what he says, look at verse 19. He says, uh, or verse 29 rather, he says, this is the promised savior. Look, the lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. He sees Christ. He says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, immediately the issue in our passage for the morning is this. How did he know that Jesus of Nazareth was the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world? How did he know? John explains. He says, the Father told me what to look for. The Spirit would one day descend on this one who was his King, his Savior come. When you see the Spirit descend on this one, you will know he is my promised Savior King. Now, Jesus' baptism is actually the focus here because that's what happened at Jesus' baptism. You probably know the story. Jesus comes to John. John is baptizing. Jesus comes to John uh, and uh, John says to him, why have you come? Which is always a great question before you baptize anybody. You probably will never baptize anybody, but I'm telling you that if in the, in the future you should, you, you should always ask, why did you come? He said, why did you come? Well, Jesus said, because it is right. It is proper. It's fitting. He, he was modeling and he was displaying the, his absolute commitment to his father, the life his father had given to him and the mission the father had given to him to accomplish. He's, he's doing, he's receiving John's baptism as an act of complete surrender and submission. But all the gospels, the other three gospels in particular record that after Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove, comes on a place to rest, 
And a voice was heard from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And John said, it was then after I baptized him and I saw the spirit descend, I knew that my cousin who was younger than me was someone greater than me. He was the promised one. He was God's savior, king, come. That's when I knew that he was the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. This is exactly, look at verse 33. This is exactly what the father told me would happen. This is how I knew. He said, when you see this, you will know. He says, I saw this and so I knew. Now, we could end our passage right here, we could. We could look at uh, verses uh, 29 to 34 and uh, we could say, okay, that's what happened. But there is something more that happened here that we cannot move ahead, cannot go forward until we, we drill down a little, little more. There's something more that we need to explore. Let me put it to you this way. Why? Why did Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, why did Jesus need the Holy Spirit to come and indwell him? You say, oh no. Here, here he goes, he's going to get theological. And I, I'm dealing with some issues at home and I need some help and this doesn't sound like it's gonna help me. You are so wrong, shame on you, stay with me. You are so wrong, you should be ashamed, stay with me. All right, so why? Why does the Son of God need the Spirit of God before he carries out the mission of God? That's the question. Was it, was it merely to prove to John that he was who he was? Was it simply a marker say, okay, John, this is the guy, go point him out. No, 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 no. It goes much, much deeper than that. Now, let's be honest. What Jesus has been given is uh, something that for anybody, everybody would be mission impossible to be the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, of the world, the whole world, all the sin, can bear, bear all the sin. I don't know about you, but when I look at my sin, I've got a pretty heavy load. Anybody else got a pretty heavy load? Yeah, some of you just a little lighter. Yeah. Um, he's been given this, it would seem like an impossible mission. Now. Here's the reality. As God, the God who is great because he is good, Jesus has both the infinite capacity and the love needed to take away the evil and the sin, all the evil and all the sin of the world and restore it to, to, so that it, the evil is turned to good. He has that infinite capacity. He is God, right? But, as the God who is great and good, he was also holy. And he required that sin's penalty of death be paid. And for it to be paid, one of two things had to happen. Either we had to pay it ourselves and die, or someone else, someone who was perfect, a perfect substitute for us, would have to be found to die in our place. And this is why the very Son of God had to come as God 
and man at the same time. He had to be truly God, but he also had to be truly, fully man. Only if he were truly, fully man could he be the perfect sacrificial lamb for us and stand in our place and then as God take away our sin. Does that make sense to you? So he had to be both. He had to be both. He had to be truly and fully God to do the taking away. He had to be truly and fully man to be the lamb dying in our place. And what this means is that while Jesus, the son of God, came needing no help because he was God, Jesus, the son of God made man, needed divine help because all true humans are made to need God's help to live to keep, to enjoy the life God gives. Indeed, the great sin of our first father and our first mother, Adam and Eve, can be understood in this way. God gave them a perfect life with him at the center. They looked at God, they looked at life, they looked at themselves and they said, we've got this. We don't need any help. We can do this ourselves. We human beings don't just say that when we're three. We keep saying that after we discover it at age three, I can do this myself. And so they tried. And life hasn't been the same since. Jesus needed no help in being who he was, God. But Jesus is fully man in order to live the life we should have lived with God at the center, giving and sustaining and empowering that life. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to come on him, fill him, sustain and empower him. To live as he, Jesus, created all humanity to live. He, Jesus, made man, needed the spirit to do what the spirit does so well, help. As Jesus says later in John 6, when it comes to life, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh or humanity is of no avail, no use for life. Don't depend on yourself for it. Don't depend on yourself for it. You can't find it. You can't get it. It's only by the spirit. The spirit is the one who gives life. So in only this way, receiving the help of the Holy Spirit, could Jesus become all that fallen humanity needs? And this is why God the Father prepared him by sending him the Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus loves to call. What's Jesus' favorite name for the, for the Holy Spirit? Does anybody know? The helper. Paraclete, he, okay, he's going, he's going on uh, ancient language with, for me here. The guy in the front row, he can't help it. Paraclete, you're right, sir, absolutely. Helper, helper, helper. Now, I don't need no help is the Southern version of the, of the universal human malady. <laughs> I don't need no help is the Southern version. Now, I was uh, meeting with some of our leaders earlier this week and one of our newer pastors was just talking and sharing about how he, he uh, is learning how to fit in around here because he's from that faraway city of Hendersonville, North Carolina. 
and is not from here. And he says it's been interesting because as he's kind of gotten his roots down here, he finds people correcting him all the time about how to, how to speak correctly. And, uh, and, and I know what's happening is he just needs some help and people are, are trying to help him. It's not advance, it's advent. It's not Pafaf town, it's Poff town. It's not Moxville, Yadkinville. What's the other ville? Louisville. It's Louisville. Yakinville. 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 Moxville. It's not Forsyth County, it's Forsyth County. And so he's been giving himself away. Everybody knows he's not from here because he can't talk right. <laughs> and by the way, we also know you're not from here if you say something like, I've always heard about grits. One day I'd like to try one. <laughs> we know, we just know <laughs> you're not from here if that's what you say. So, you know, <laughs> We're glad you're here, but you need help. There, there's a way to talk, there's a way to eat, all that kind of thing. We all need help, you need help, I need help, all God's children need help. But the great message of, of this passage is God has given to his people the help that they need and it's come in the form of a helper. To live the, the great life that, that Christ has won for believers and that the great God has for believers requires help. And God has sent him in the Holy Spirit. And without him, the great life is an impossible life. But thank God what is impossible for us is possible with God. And our passage directs us to see the kind of help, the humanity of Jesus needed to live the great life the Father had given him and the kind of help he has for us. So what kinds of help does the Spirit, the helper, give? Well, our passage this morning points us to places that Jesus will make explicit later in this gospel, but they're so vital for us that we need to grasp them now. Notice with me in verse 32 and verse 33 that the Holy Spirit comes to help as, as uh, let's call him a collaborator and a friend. And John, verse 32, bore witness and said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. I saw him come. The first way that John knew that Jesus was the promised one was that just as, as a dove alights or lands on a place to rest, the Holy Spirit visually descended or rested on Jesus of Nazareth. Now what John saw exactly as he saw this descent isn't told to us. It's obvious to him that whatever it was, was divine and it was spirit. But the word descend is important here. It means simply to come down to be where another is. It is to go down from a higher place to a lower one. It's used in the Bible to describe God coming down from heaven to earth. The key idea here is that all of the spirit came to rest on all of Jesus, all of his presence, all of his power, all of his presence and power were present 
to Jesus to help him in his humanity. The spirit personally came from heaven to be where Jesus was personally. He came powerfully to collaborate with Christ and to help him do and be what he was called to do and be. To collaborate is to labor with another. The Holy Spirit came to labor with the human Jesus to accomplish the life and the mission that God had given to Jesus. Now, the New Testament shows plainly that from the beginning to the end, this Holy Spirit who came at Christ's baptism was at work in Jesus and around Jesus. It was by the Spirit that Jesus was conceived, born to the Virgin Mary. It was by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. It was by the presence and power of the Spirit that he faced troubles and sorrows and trials and temptations and enemies and failing friends. Jesus shared every aspect of our human condition except our sin, and he is shown to us always resting, relying, communing with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus went into the uh, wilderness to be tempted, the scripture says he was first filled with the Spirit, then he was led by the Spirit, and then it shows us how he was sustained by the Spirit of God. Now here in our passage, at his baptism, Jesus enters into that fullness of the Holy Spirit's ministry so that in everything and in every way, he could be sustained and supported by the Holy Spirit as he taught, as he preached, as he served, as he obeyed, as he worked miracles, defeated the enemy, endured the cross, despised his shame as he ultimately was raised to life and ascended to heaven. It was all with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the Spirit of God is present and powerful as a collaborator in the work of God, and we see him as a friend. And what does he say? I've come to help. I've come to help. I've come to help. And the way he helps first is he collaborates. He works in us and he works through us to accomplish what it is God wants to see accomplished in us. I think this truth gives new meaning to the old adage, it's not who you are, it's who you know. It's not who you are, it's who you know. It's who you can count on as a friend that counts. And all that God gives a believer to be and do, that believer has a collaborator, that believer has a friend in the highest of places. And the miracle is he has come to dwell in I know there are some people that have mixed feelings, who are believers, have mixed feelings about the Holy Spirit. I don't understand that. So, some others may misunderstand and maybe misuse him. That doesn't mean you should be afraid of him. You should never be afraid of a friend. You should never be fr afraid of a collaborator. Because without him, you will never be what God wants you to be. You will never be what God designed you to be, desires you to be. You'll never be. You need 
help. I know it's hard. I know. I know. Get it out. Get it out. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need help. Now, I see some wives saying that really quickly to their husbands. And you know what? They're right. That guy needs help. And if he's a believer, he has got the best helper. He's got a collaborator and a friend. Now, notice with me in verses 32 and 33, the the Holy Spirit comes to help also as a companion and a comforter. John says, particularly look at verse 33. He said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, that's the father, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who is the promised one. He descends and he, keyword, remains. I knew it because the Holy Spirit not only visually descended, but he rested on Jesus. He remained or stayed on him. Now, the idea conveyed by the word remain is that of staying or even sticking to. It is to continue in a given place or to stand firm in a relationship. We want a remainer when we get married, don't we? Isn't that what we want, ladies? Are you sure, ladies? We want a remainer. We're still, are we sure? Yes. yes. That's what we want, a remainer, men too. This notion of remaining conveys the idea of abiding, of living, of lodging, of taking up residence with another. This is the same word Jesus uses when he says to his disciples in John 15, I want you to Abide in me, lodge in me, and I will lodge in you. And whoever lodges in me or abides in me and I in him, that's the one who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what we're seeing here is that the Holy Spirit didn't come to Jesus simply for a visit. He didn't come simply as a guest. If he had, then we might just say, well, he he appeared at Jesus' baptism so that John could know who he really was and point him out to us. But oh no, no, no. He came and he stayed. He came and he stayed. He took up residence as a full companion in all of Christ's work in life. The Spirit came as one who walked with Christ through all of his life and all of his death. And it is this dwelling of the Spirit as a permanent companion that lends itself to Jesus' later beautiful description of the Spirit as the helper or comforter or paraclete the one who comes alongside and stays. He comes alongside and he stays. One of the most meaningful moments in my marriage was when I had an accident and found myself in the ER trauma unit. And there were doctors coming in and going out and all this business going on. I had no, I was glad they were there, but I, I, they gave me no comfort. But it was when I turned to my right and saw my bride standing there, I had comfort. Oh, you say, is she a, a medical doctor? No. No, no. But she is my companion. 
she sticks and she stays. And there's a lot of comfort to be found right there. Now, what if, what if she had been the world's greatest doctor, surgeon, and been my bride? Well, it would have been even better. The Holy Spirit is all of that. To God's people. Companion. Who comforts. See, some of you, some of you, here's the reality. Some of you are so overwhelmed right now. You have no peace. You have no rest. And you're a follower of Jesus and you have no peace and no rest. I'm not going to beat you up for that. I, I have no, 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 no reason to do that. It's not my heart. But I do want to just pause and I do want to say to you, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through, but this is what I do know. I do know God has for you a great life, a life of goodness like Christ. I do know that no matter what you're facing, that life can be for you real and God has given you just the helper you need and with him comes comfort. I've known those nights when life was so hard, all I could do was pray and say, to God the Holy Spirit, I trust you. I'm resting in you. I'm relying on you. I have nowhere else to go but to you. I am glad you're with me. I'm glad you're not against me. I know that you are for me. I, even though I cannot sleep, I can rest. Even though I can't sleep, I will rest because you are with me. He is a companion and a comforter. So I want you to see that in this descending and remaining of the Holy Spirit of God, not only are we given a picture of the presence of the Spirit coming and the power of the Spirit coming, but we're given a picture of the permanence of the Spirit who has come. He is how God keeps his promise when he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. All the help that Jesus had, all the help that his humanity required, he received. All the help that Jesus had, you and I have, and we have received. And that permanent presence and power of the Spirit 
Make him so much more than just a collaborator and a friend. Makes him our companion and our comfort. The one on whom we can rely. And this is what is meant. And this is why it can be said that God never fails. He is steadfast in his love. And never far from those who call on him. He sticks, he stays. So I don't know what trauma unit you're in today, but turn your head and look. Turn your head and look. Your companion, your comfort. Well, you got time for one more? All right, I got permission from the front. How's the back doing? The back's doing all right? All right, you're still smiling. I don't see anybody sleeping. All right, back corner, I'm checking. All right, some of you are a little, little dark to me, but I, I'm going to trust their eyes open back there. All right. Let's do one more. Are you ready? All right. Look, look at verses 33 to 34. So the Holy Spirit finally comes to help as a co-conspirator and a champion. A co-conspirator and a champion. Not just a companion and a comfort, not just a collaborator and a friend, but as a co-conspirator and a champion. Uh, verse 33. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John then says in conclusion, and I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, the message of the Father to John the baptizer is significant for John and for all followers of Jesus who came after him. John didn't know who the promised one was, but he knew that he had come. He also knew that the promised Savior King was the one who would baptize others, not with water like John did, but with the Holy Spirit. And whoever this would be, would be the very Son of God, verse 34. So this is what John saw and this is what John confessed. Now, this distinct work of baptizing others with the Holy Spirit is described in Old Testament prophecy as belonging to God's Savior King to come. But it means something more to you and me. It means that Jesus is not only the first permanent bearer of the Spirit, one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells permanently to the full, he is also the ready giver of that very same spirit. The promised one who would baptize others with the same Holy Spirit he himself had received. Now what we have here is, is a pointer to two final pictures of the kind of help the Holy Spirit gives. One, one is a picture of how the Holy Spirit works with the Father and the Son to secure what God has planned for humanity and for uh, uh, its world. He is a co-conspirator with them. The three persons of the Trinity work together in what was once a secret eternal agreement among them, what Paul calls in Romans 16, the mystery hidden for long ages. And the mystery is the gospel message of faith in Christ plus nothing 
yields salvation for those who believe. The Father planned our redemption, the Son purchases our redemption, and the Holy Spirit is the one through whom all the blessings of redemption uh, come to us. The Father planned it, the Son purchased it, the Spirit applies it, and we need the work of all three in our lives. And they did those things together. Co-conspirators, I love that, against the domain of darkness. There's a second picture here. The Holy Spirit, who is a co-conspirator with the Father and Son in redemption and restoration, is also with Christ a champion. He's a champion for those who believe in Christ. He's a champion for those who live in the time between Christ's first coming and his second. He helps them by being for them as he was for Christ. He is their militant advocate. He is their militant defender. John will remind believers elsewhere that the spirit is greater than all they face when he says in 1 John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the spirit of God. It is by the Holy Spirit the believers are able to say with Paul, in all of these things, in all the threats and challenges of life, spiritual and physical, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I have a champion. Now, many of you will know to baptize means to dip or submerge. To say that Jesus baptizes persons with the Holy Spirit is to say that he gives the Holy Spirit in such a way to individuals that they are soaked with him. Soaked with him. Their lives are flooded with his life so that they might truly live. Now at conversion, this spiritual baptism with the Holy Spirit takes place. Not in the water baptism, no. At the time that a person repents and confesses of their sin, turns to Christ and God receives them by faith, they are in that moment baptized with the Holy Spirit, inundated with him, filled with him. In other words, everything you need for new life and great life, God gives you right from the very beginning. I've told you this before, I'm gonna tell you again, and then I'll keep telling you till I'm gone. Not one of us in this room will be able to stand before God and say, I'm sorry that you gave me a new life, but I couldn't live a great life. Because God will, will have to say in response, what do you mean you couldn't? I gave you everything you needed. There was nothing you needed you didn't have. You had my spirit. To the full. Yeah, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I just tell you, yeah, but never goes anywhere with God? At conversion, this spiritual baptism with the Holy Spirit takes place so that converts are are washed clean of the sins that cling to them, dedicated to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, given a new life, and empowered for a different, greater way of life. So this makes the Holy Spirit even more than a 
collaborator and a friend, a companion and a comfort. He is a co-conspirator of all that is good against all that is evil, and he is a champion for all who come to Christ with repentance and faith. And that is why believers can say and can say gladly, if God be for us, who can be against us? I have a conspirator who works to help me by remaking me. I have a champion who helps me by defending me. God is for me. Who can be against me? Now, are there any more strengthening truths than these? In his Holy Spirit, by his Son, God himself dwells in us, present with power permanently. And so while we can never give God or ourselves the unwasted lives that he wants and that we need, God has given himself first in his Son and then in his Spirit. And the coming of the help and the helper of the Spirit this collaborator and friend, this companion and comforter, this great co-conspirator and champion, the coming of this one to Jesus made the way for the coming of this same helper to us. So here's the point of today's message. True greatness is impossible until God's help becomes personal. True greatness is impossible until God's help becomes personal. True greatness is impossible until God's help, and can I add, and helper become personal. But when God's helper becomes personal, comes and dwells on a believer, the impossible becomes possible and great lives begin to be lived. In Christ and by the presence of his spirit, what we could not do, we can now do. Now, all of this means that if you know Christ, and somebody here needs to hear this, if you know Christ, this means you are not alone. You are never alone. It means you are never without hope. It means you are never without help. You have dwelling in you personally a divine partner in life who says to you, I have not left you as an orphan. I have come to you. You don't have to do this yourself. Stop trying to do this yourself. Give up trying to do this yourself. You cannot do this yourself. Rely on me. 
I am your help and your shield. I am your refuge and strength. I am your very present help in time of trouble. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm the God who strengthens you and helps you and upholds you with my righteous right hand. The impossible has now become possible because God's help has become so very personal. So what help do you need? You say, I don't need no help. I say, okay. You're from Yakubal. I get it. I get it. I get it. So why don't you keep listening because one of these days you're going to figure out you do need help. But just let me speak for a minute to those who know the truth. How's your soul? Where are you feeling defeated? What is that thing that is always on the forefront of your mind that will not let you go? It causes you to feel as if somehow God has forsaken you because you only can see the problem. You don't even have a sense anymore of his presence. Where do you need help? Seriously, I'm asking. Where do you need help? Now, God's not interested in accomplishing your agenda. He's got his own agenda. His agenda is the agenda. But what you'll find is your greatest need of help is wherever your life is not in alignment with his agenda for you. And what he has for you is a great life on mission like Jesus' life was lived on mission. But wherever there's a lack of peace, wherever there's a faltering of joy, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Wherever you're being consumed, because you're consuming that thing and it's destroying you, that's where you need help. That's where you need help. Some of you in this room today are ready to say, I don't have this. Or, I don't got this. I'm trying to speak to all people.
But some of you today are not going to have the breakthrough you need until you can simply say, I need help. Your sin is too much for you. You need a savior. You need help. It's when we finally come and confess our sin and turn from it and say, God, I can't help myself, but you can. He will save you and give you his helper for the rest of your life. Some in this room need to finally say, I need help. I need a savior. But there are others You know who you are. The Spirit of God in you is now working on you. There are others in this room. You've been parked, living, out of a new life, but you're not making the journey to the great life. Because you're feeding your life on lesser things. And you need to say the very same thing. I need help. Where do you need help? Are you willing today to own your need? And to say to the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, to say to the Spirit of God today, I acknowledge you're here. I acknowledge you come as my companion and my comforter. I acknowledge you're here as a co-laborer with me to help me move from new to great. I acknowledge you're my friend. I acknowledge your co-conspirator and, and I acknowledge you're my champion and you are everything I need. And I say to you today how grateful I am that Christ has given you to me. And now I want to say, here is this thing. Here is this situation. It's breaking my heart. Keeping me up at night this sin that keeps me from loving you with all my heart, this false love that gets in the way of yours. Here it is. I need your help. I need your help. Need your help. Need your help. 
Not enough to be new. Need to move on. Need your help. Try it. Can't do it myself. Need your help. I'm lost. My sin is heavier than I can bear. Need your help. Scripture speaks of intercession, bringing others who are in need of God's help to the throne of grace. Who do you know that needs some help? Who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? I would say I know somebody that needs the help only God can give that's all in this broken world uh, put your hands down let's try this again I'm confused I'm confused because the world I live in is so full of brokenness I, I got 1500 people 
How many of you know somebody that could use God's help? All right, let's take a moment right now. Take them to the throne of grace and say, God, bring them the help they need. Pray now. strength, grace, mercy, the God who is our ever-present help in time of trouble. We come into your presence this morning. Father God, forgive us, forgive us for living so often, so easily as if we've got this. Forgive us, Lord God, for trying to fix the people in our lives, the relationships in our lives, the sins in our lives, the failures in our lives, the selfishness in our lives, for trying to fix it ourselves, for trying to do and be what we cannot do and be on our own. We confess today that it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh helps for nothing. Forgive us, Lord God, for not praying like we should for the broken, the wounded, the hurting all around us who need not what this world can give, but only what you can give. Forgive us, oh God. Help us, Lord, where we don't trust you as we should. Help us, Lord God, when we hear your truth, but we don't fully believe it. Grant to us the ability also to pray and to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And we trust you more. May it be so. Grant, Lord God. Grant, Lord God, this breakthrough that we need as a church. Grant, Lord God, the breakthrough that we need as individuals. Grant to us a fresh experience of the joy that comes when your Holy Spirit has his way and has his say in us. For Jesus' sake. All God's people together said, amen. All God's people together said, I need help. All God's people said to their pastor, you need help. And I would say you are right. So we're coming now two weeks into uh, Easter, loved ones. And um, for us at Center Grove, that means, Easter means praying our way to it and uh, focusing our minds on the resurrection of our Savior that gives us the courage to press on. 
So as you leave today, you're going to get a card, and uh, I want to lay down a challenge to you as you go. To make this an Easter that is one you share with your church family in celebration of Jesus. And the way we, we've got this set up for you to do this is online, we have devotions. We have devotionals for, for families with kids. We have devotionals for, for adults. And I wanna challenge you to join us over these next two weeks to be reading what the rest of us are reading, praying specifically. The first week is dedicated to prayer, praying specifically in unity together over certain things. The next week then, just before Easter, we'll be focusing through devotionals on what the resurrection means because if you don't focus, it, it will just be another, another day. And it's, it's so much more than that. So you'll see there's a QR code. You can use your smartphone uh, to connect, find the material. You can find it on, you know, online as well, and there's address there for you. But I want to challenge you to do that. This Tuesday is going to be a day of fasting. You say, I don't know how to do that. We've got information on the, on the website. Many of you do. You may be fasting from social media. Please do. In fact, do that all week. You'll be so much healthier. Uh, fasting from social media or fasting from food for a day, going on a, a, a water and juice fast. Fasting focuses our hearts and minds on the things that matter most by focusing our hearts and minds on the one who matters most. Tuesday is the day when we're doing it as a church. Now, that's not a law. If you need to do it on Friday, do it. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But join us in this, will you? cards will be available to you there. You have been really, really great to spend time with today. I'm, I'm thankful for your earnestness and I'm thankful for your care and listening. I can always tell. I can always tell. Thank you for that. I believe that as you honor the Lord, He honors you. The more you set your heart on Him, the better you will know Him, the greater He will be and the more he will do. So I thank you for that. And I wish you well for the rest of the day until Jesus comes again or Sunday comes back. I'll see you either way. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.